Hey, I'm Emma Quigley, and I am a Senior Vice President of Institutional Business Development at Angel Oak Capital Advisors, and I am joined today by Stephen Schwab, partner of Angel Oak Lending. How are you, Stephen? Fantastic, Emma. How are you? Awesome. Doing well. Well, why don't you tell me a bit about yourself and your background? How did you get your start in the mortgage business? So I went to work for a mortgage company a year out of college, and from there I started from processing, which is the front line in the trenches. I understood processing, then graduated in underwriting. Then from underwriting, the company I was working for started off a wholesale or whole loan selling group. And what that group would do is take production from their mortgage company and sell it out to third parties. And so they had me spearhead that effort. And so I would look at loans from our, our current company, determine what loans fit guidelines elsewhere. I would underwrite those loans to those guidelines. I would then physically close those loans by drawing closing documents. I would wire the money and I'd build my own little portfolio of all the loans that I would originate. After I had that little portfolio, I'd send it out to all the mortgage companies and I'd act as my own secondary marketing guy uh, and I'd sell those loans to outside third parties. The interesting thing there is I had a full spectrum of not only credit, but the origination of the loan, the process of originating the loan, and then the actual capital market activity and how to sell those loans. That's great. So how did you arrive at Angel Oak? So I started off at United Companies, which was a non-agency company that started off back in the late 50s. It was promoted to help returning soldiers from the wars with financing because there wasn't readily a financing out there. So from United Companies, I went to a company called South Star Funding, uh, where I worked side by side by Mike Fearman, who's one of the partners at South Star. So they brought me in or in the early South Star days. We were 20 some odd employees. We grew that to, to 800. Uh, and we were just shy of a billion dollars a month in originations at the time. So at the day, during the day, we were uh, a small, medium sized player. Then global disruption happened and Mike and Trini had started Angel Oak in order to capitalize on the disruption that had happened. Uh, they were having a lot of success with that and they invited me to join Angel Oak back in 2010. I was a credit guy and capital markets guy in the resi space for a career time at 20 years and being a big believer in Mike, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go see what this is all about. And so I came over back in 2010 and about a year into it, we realized that no one's making the non-agency residential mortgage backed bonds that Angel was buying at the time. So we thought who better than us to make those bonds. So having a deep mortgage background, we started up a mortgage company and brick by brick and we, we grew what we have today. So we went from a one man shop to a organization now with over 600 employees doing over 7 billion annualized a year right now. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. So you've been in the mortgage industry for quite some time. Maybe talk to us a bit about how the industry has changed uh, as compared to pre-crisis. The story that everyone knows pre-crisis is just lack of adherence to guidelines, a lack of attention to a borrower's ability to repay, and just a lot of reach for yield. There was so much money in the industry at the time where you could make any loan and anybody would buy that loan from an originator to profit. It was just wild, wild west. And so we saw what the lack of credit integrity does to residential loans. It causes a financial crisis. Pre-crisis, the U.S. residential lending environment was that of just close a loan and we'll get it sold. Very few originators, if any, had skin in the game on the performance of the loans. And quite frankly, it wasn't 
the 2007, 2008 loans that caused the crisis. It was really the loans that were closed back in 2005, 2006. 2003, 2004, the non-agency lending was going good. There were credit standards. Lenders were adhering to those credit standards. They were ensuring integrity to the credit profiles of the guidelines that they were originating into. And then more and more money came into the system. And you saw that money really start rushing in in 2004, 2005. And that's when you saw the proliferation of the no-doc loans, the state of loans. Get a borrow social security number, some of these loans, and we'll give that borrower a loan. They talked about low LTVs at the time, but that low LTV is relative to actual appraised value. You had loan officers who were indifferent on the appraisal. In other words, they would just order the appraisal. All they wanted uh, was the appraisal to come in at the value that they needed. And so there are certain strings that some loan officers would pull to ensure that those appraised values would come in where they needed them. So not only did you have a miscalculation of the collateral value, meaning the appraisal would, could be inflated at times, but you also had a lack of understanding of the borrower's credit profile, state income, state doc loans. Some may argue at the time that they had low LTVs, but once again, if you don't know what the value of the collateral was, and if you don't know where the money was coming from for the down payment of these loans, it's all really irrelevant. Uh, then you take a look at post-crisis. Uh, a lot of the things that have been done since post-crisis versus pre-crisis is we now have appraisal independence. And what appraisal independence means, Emma, is that the loan officer can no longer have influence in ordering the appraisal. The appraisal has to be ordered by a credit department of a mortgage company. And that's typically facilitated through the mortgage company's compliance side. In other words, the loan officer will place an order for a credit report that order will then go through the compliance department of the mortgage company. It then goes out to an appraisal management company or AMC. That appraisal management company will identify the appraiser, get the appraisal done. When that appraisal comes back to the appraisal management company, they'll audit that loan. They'll audit the appraisal for the correct standards. And when that's done, it then goes back to the creditor or the originator. Uh, another thing that came into play is loan officer compensation, and not enough can be said for loan officer compensation. Before the crisis, loan officers were compensated by the amount of fees that they would collect by an individual consumer. So you could have two different borrowers go into a mortgage shop, and there'd be two distinct different rates and fees that those two borrowers, although their credit profiles looked exactly the same, those two borrowers would get different fees and different prices. One of those borrowers could be put into a loan where the loan officer would be compensated more, and the other borrower put into a loan where the loan officer would be compensated less. Now, with Dodd-Frank, loan officers have to be compensated the exact same way regardless of what kind of loan that they originate. What that does is that incentivizes that loan officer to put the borrower in the best program possible since they're no longer uh, incentivized on the loan program that's put in. Ability to repay, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Dodd-Frank uh, was uh, the creator of that, but what ability to repay tells us is we have to evaluate the borrower's credit standards, and we have to make sure that they have the ability to repay that loan, whether it be cash flow from their job, whether it be savings in their account, whether it be the size of the loan that they have. A lot of focus on ability to repay. Then last but not least, you take a look at all the guidelines that we've come out with since the crisis. We've come out with strict loan-to-values, credit scores, debt to incomes, you now have a focused reliance on auditing to ensure that all those credit profiles meet the guidelines that you underwrite those loans to. So what I just covered is now you have a lot of integrity to every aspect of the loan that you never had before. And so now you can understand that a borrower with a certain amount of money, well, that's you're going to verify that that's their money today, whereas before maybe not so much. And so by understanding the skin in the game that these borrowers have, in other words, lower LTVs, well, you now know that LTV is appropriate because you have a strict adherence to 
protocol on the guidelines of appraisals, and then you know that money's coming from the consumer, that's skin in the game for these borrowers. And you know you have a real collateral value and much less likely for that borrower to walk away from that house. Excellent. Yeah, it seems like such a, a simple concept. Can this person repay the loan? So what is it like you know, if you've ever had to foreclose on somebody. That's something personally for me that that burns. Uh, As I mentioned, uh, you asked about my background. My first year was with a finance company. And so uh, I took an internship at a finance company. We would have to go and foreclose on borrowers. And for anybody managing credit or underwriting a consumer, one of the most impactful things to them, in my opinion, is to have to go foreclose on somebody and kick them out of their house. That is one of the most impactful things that a credit or any mortgage person will ever experience. And when I saw that, not only in my first year out of college, but also uh, through my career as an underwriter, it's impactful. And it burns in your head that you never want to have to have anyone ever kicked out of their home again. And so for that, you really want to understand the credit profile. And you really want to understand how that borrower is going to react in certain times of stress to where you'll have reliable lending with performing borrowers. Looking at pre and post crisis, really two completely different industries, I think it's safe to say. So to you, Stephen, what were some of the major lessons learned on the lending side? So being one of the people that lived through that financial crisis and vowed never to let that happen again, I wanted to continue staying in residential lending, but this time do it right. The opportunity I have here at Angel Oak was to be able to help create guidelines for underserved borrowers, very creditworthy borrowers, while understanding the credit that we're lending to loan money to those borrowers. And that happened back in 2013 when we closed our first non-agency loan at the time. Non-QM wasn't a thing yet. Non-QM was just something that was starting in the regulator's eyes back in D.C. And then eventually the administration came out with QM and non-QM, Dodd-Frank. Dodd-Frank was a big proponent there. And Dodd-Frank, you had underwriting criteria that you had to adhere to. And uh, we we applauded Dodd-Frank. We're not scared to make loans that are outside Fannie Freddie's purview because we understand the credit. We understand the loans that survived and performed through turmoil back 2007, 2008, and those loans we focused on. And here we are, $10 billion later in originations, and we still have phenomenal performance of our loans, even through the disruption of COVID. So that's something we're very proud of. That's great. So who is the typical non-QM borrower? What does that person look like from a a credit underwriting standpoint? What do they do for a living? And, And why are they locked out of agency financing? Non-QM is a very broad term, but the majority of non-QM borrowers we bank today are non-QM more due to guideline requirements. We look for borrowers that have a strong credit profile outside of just the credit report, things like reserves, things like cash flow. Even though their tax returns do not show enough income to qualify for their debt ratios, we qualify income off of their monthly cash flow in their bank statements. So those are the borrowers we're looking at today. We're looking for the borrowers that have strong cash flow proven through their bank statements that have otherwise excellent credit elsewhere to include reserves showing they've saved money. So Angel Oak's model is pretty unique. We have a vertically aligned lender and the asset manager. From your perspective on the lending side, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages to this unique business model? So we're able to understand credit. We're able to share that um, those thoughts with the asset manager to create programs. What we're also able to do is have a, a feed on the street to understand what the market really needs and what these borrowers really need from the real estate agents and from the borrowers themselves and report back to capital. And from there, we can collaboratively come up with guidelines 
for loan programs that, that work phenomenally and help us continue to be a leader in this space. So Angel Oak Lending, you're talking about, you know, these boots on the ground, and there's really three different distinct channels within Angel Oak Lending. You have the wholesale, the retail, and the correspondent. What are those different channels and what makes them distinct from one another in terms of their advantages and disadvantages? Sure. So if you think about our retail channel, think about that as business consumer. In other words, we have loan officers that work for Angel Oak and they're out in the street and they're working with referral sources or builders or other directly with the consumer to fulfill their loan needs. So if you have a friend down the street, one of our loan officers will give them a business card and help them with financing for their home. That's our retail side, Angel Oak Home Loans. If you take a look at Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions, which is our wholesale side, think of that more as B2B, business to business. So there's mortgage brokers out there in the U.S. that will find the borrower and they find lenders that give the borrower the best option for financing. Mortgage brokers will go out and find the borrower and then what they'll do is they find a lender that best fits the borrower's needs. They'll then originate that loan. In other words, they'll collect all the documentation from the borrower, they'll quote the borrower the rate, and then they'll sell that, send that loan into Angel Mortgage Solutions for fulfillment. And what I mean by fulfillment is processing, underwriting for solutions to verify that these are the credit standards we want to lend to. When everything looks great, we lend the money to the borrower at that time. So that's Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions, our wholesale side. Then on the correspondent side, there's lots of mortgage bankers throughout the U.S. And what these mortgage bankers do is much like home loans. They'll go out and they'll find the borrower. They'll find the program that best fits them, the consumer. They'll close that loan internally, and they'll actually issue money on that loan internally. Our correspondent group will then go buy that closed loan from the correspondent. So we cover all three aspects of residential lending. That where we go out and self-source the loan ourselves through home loans. That where we'll work with an independent mortgage broker and provide them great financing terms for the borrower. And then number three, whenever we go buy loans in a portfolio from another lender or another bank as well. That's great. So you mentioned that there's roughly 600 or so folks working for the lending entities. Where are you guys at in terms of volume fleet origination across the different products? it's very important to take a look at where the volume has been over the past couple of years and the hockey sticking of that volume. So my answer to you today is we're on a monthly run rate last month of 7 billion. But if you take a look at where our monthly run rate will be by year end, we'll be through uh, close to the $10 billion annualized mark. And once again, this is a, the continuing of uh, the hockey stick. Uh, and we have uh, great aspirations for continued growth throughout the next several years. Great. So as you're looking to scale the business, how do you plan to manage quality as you look to scale? Are there maybe any technological innovations on the horizon for Angel Oak? Technology is all key to ensure quality of the originations coupled with training. So uh, we provide pretty stringent training to the people who evaluate credit. But more importantly, it's the technology. There's no way we can truly scale our platforms to the size that we want them to ensure the integrity to guidelines, to ensure the integrity to uh, documentation, than to have a strong technology helping us fulfill these loans. So we uh, deploy both outside vendors from a technological standpoint, as well as building proprietary internal technology. We're building that internally ourselves, first to help our underwriters scale to ensure that they don't miss anything and that all loans meet compliance. Uh, and then after we're comfortable there, we'll deploy out to the marketplace where our uh, customers, our brokers, our wholesale clients can utilize uh, our version specifically for non-QM in particular. Right. The important thing about a loan officer 
is that loan officer has to have a surety of execution. So the one thing that this automated underwriting does is give surety of execution to that loan officer. And so they don't need to be as concerned about little things popping up during the loan origination process for a non-QM loan. They have all that vetted out by the technology before they send the loan in and before they make a commitment to the consumer, which gives these loan officers much more confidence to originate these loans. And as these loan officers get more confidence, well, then they'll originate more loans. And that's what technology does for us. So we talked a lot about how the industry landscape shifted, obviously pre and post crisis. Let's talk about a more recent real world event. So with COVID-19, has the industry shifted in response to that? You, know, you asked the question earlier, what's one of the advantages of working and being tied in uh, with an asset manager that, who's actually buying these loans? That was more prevalent during COVID than we've ever seen before. And what I mean by that is we know that there were consumers out there with businesses that were actually booming at the time of COVID hit. That Whether they were in the work from home industry, whether they had other businesses that were just really booming from the stay at home orders. And we also knew subsequently that there were consumers and businesses that were just crashing. And so working closely with the asset manager we are able to quickly dissect what were good loans and what were bad loans. So one of the things we look at very closely now is have a complete understanding of the business of the bank statement borrowers that we bank today and understand what that business looks like in post-COVID world to understand if that borrower is actually going to have the cash flow to fulfill their obligation of the loan that we give them. So let's talk a bit about just broader macro environment, housing, you know, today's bull housing market, do you see it as sustainable? Do you think that home price appreciation will be as strong as it is six months from now? What's your view? Sure. There's no doubt that we've seen a massive run up in housing over the past year. We see people moving out of the cities, we're going more suburban, but at the same time, there is just a sheer shortage of housing today. Couple that Emma with the millennials out now buying homes. And so there is a massive undersupply of housing. And so whenever you have an undersupply of housing, of course, that housing will continue to be a solid footing for investment. Uh, do I think that there's a short-term housing bubble? I'd be hard-pressed to say that simply because of the lack of supply and the growing demand coming not only from those moving, but as we said earlier, the millennials. I think housing has a very strong footing for the next several years. But after that, we'll just have to take a look at the conditions and see what, uh, see what it holds. All right. So that was Stephen Schwab, partner at Angel Oak Lending. And again, I'm Emma Quigley, Senior Vice President of Institutional Business Development here at Angel Oak Capital Advisors. And thank you, Stephen, for your time. Thank you, Emma, for having me. It was very enjoyable and I'm glad I had the opportunity to talk about my story. Awesome. All right. And thank you to all of our listeners today. If you have any questions or would like any additional information on our strategies, please email us at info at angeloakcapital.com.